Hello, my name is Christine Deeson, and I'm the CEO and founder of the Modern Artist Project. Today, I'm with Eric Booth, who has been on the faculty of Juilliard, Tanglewood, and Lincoln Center Institute. And he has given workshops at over 30 universities and 60 cultural institutions. He has designed and led over 20 research projects and seven online courses and workshops including the new course, Teaching Artistry for Social Impact, offered free on Cadence. Thank you, Eric, for joining us today. Hi, Christine. Good to talk with you. I know I talked a bit about your background already, but could you tell us a little bit more about yourself? Here it is in one sentence. I'm the oldest living teaching artist. I was a Broadway actor, kind of having the dream career of working on Broadway all the time and playing some big roles around the country. And I didn't love the life. And so on the side, I heard about this thing that was just starting called teaching artist. And I tried it out and liked the lifestyle of it and the creative feel of it so much more that I kind of uh, pursued that track for the next 45 years. So I, I don't even know that I've had what's called a career. I've just had a series of projects that are increasingly fascinating and investigative uh, in this field called teaching artistry. And because I was growing up at the same time that it was, I've been able to make uh, a contribution to the growth of a field. That's amazing. And, you know, one of the things that I really enjoyed hearing about is how you know, the fact that you wanted a change, right? So, you know, the idea of being an actor and not loving the life. So what what led you to this path uh, in, in regards to being able to share this with people? You know, I may not be in this, I may not have had the same set of feelings that a lot of your listeners have, but for me, what I got, what drew me into wanting to be an artist was the, the kind of power of art making. It, it like, it was fulfilling. It felt like, okay, who I am as a person, this is, this is full. This, the whole of me is going into the making of these art things in theater. And then running a career in, in New York as a, actor with soap operas and commercials and plays that ran eight times a week for a really long time, I didn't have that same feeling. And I didn't like the schmooze to create, you know, to like to advance a career and all that. And the minute I started in teaching artistry, the number one job of a teaching artist is to activate the artistry of other people the minute I got a feel for being the agent of activating creativity in others and then working with them to channel it to go somewhere powerful, that then felt like the full realization of what, what was satisfying to me in terms of making stuff I care about. In fact, I don't use the word art so much anymore because it's got all those associations with elitism and fancy buildings and, you know, big ticket prices. I prefer to use the words, make stuff you care about. And I love to be the, the catalyst and the guide 
for supporting people to make stuff they care about in artistic media and in other areas of life as well. No, this is this is really great. And you've touched on a lot of really important points here. You mentioned this idea of, you know, making something that we care about. And when we think about the current situation, uh, for example, in the United States with different budget cuts for arts programs or, you know, theater programs or even music programs, you know, how how do you think we could, you know, make people uh, care, you know, or being able to uh, communicate that in a way that students are being able to engage with that. Well, it was that impulse that sort of led to the appearance of teaching artists the, in the cutbacks of the Reagan administration when arts education looked like it was going to completely disappear from schools. Arts organizations sent artists into the schools and, you know, to keep a generation from not having no arts experiences. And we weren't great at it at first. There was a little bit of arrogance. There was a little bit of, hey, the artist is here now, lucky kids. But over years, we really learned how to be good partners and how to, how to manage art making in a school setting to light up the goals of schools, the goals of teachers, and kind of expanded potentials for kids. The the advocacy for art, it's a tough thing. You know, I I still think America has the arts education it wants, which is like next to nothing and way off on the side of what schools do. So I'm interested in, in not so much pushing and pushing to get another, you know, few minutes into a kid's day about some arts experience. I'm much more interested in investing in the creativity of all curriculum, the engagement of kids after school and on weekends and in projects they love, and not just so attached to the traditional delivery systems of arts education, which are so hard to advance in this country. It's different in other countries, better in some, worse in others. I think we're talking about modern artist project. I think the future is in a way is in awakening the breadth of what art means in a school and a young person's life not the tracking into disciplines no this is this is i mean when we think about not only the idea of art or the idea of having a classical education or even a traditional one but also being able to you know um make it so that it's like integrated with what you've mentioned, you know, creatively integrated in a way that they sometimes they they may not know that they're actually, you know, doing something creative. And I think the thing is, I mean, we're in 2022. I mean, there's so much at our fingertips with like, you know, technology and internet. I mean, it's, it's one of those things that, you know, we can't be stuck in these you know, pedantic systems that we we do have to expand and grow, but grow in a meaningful way uh, with what you've, you know, mentioned of, you know, idea of creating partnerships. How, you know, I draw a big distinction between the nouns of art and the verbs of art. Our, you know, our arts disciplines are just passionately and historically dedicated to their nouns, like producing performances, you know, making paintings. 
And that's satisfying and essential. What teaching artists are interested in is the verbs of art. What is it? What are the processes? What are the human capacities involved, both in creating those nouns in arts media, which are unusually powerful, and how do you apply those same verbs to other stuff that isn't just arts media? How do you bring the verbs of creative engagement to a history class, to an after-school science project? How can we muscle up the verbs of art and not just focus on creating lots of nouns of art? Yes. No, this is this is really important. And I feel like with teaching artistry, I know when I was in the GLP last year that I learned quite a lot. I think my project was on how to tell a joke in music. <laughs> right. Right. Or how how do you get how do you, how do you how do you connect with audiences in that way? Like something that that's relatable, even if they don't have that type of background. And I think you, you do draw into something uh, very important here with being able to un to understand the differences between the two with with art as a noun and also as a verb. So no, uh, this is this is really great. I think when when you think about this idea of establishing relationships with different communities, and we have so many different communities in the world that we live in today, what are the different um, obstacles that you have encountered and how have you been able to overcome those obstacles? Well, I'm going to speak particularly about the skills of teaching artistry because it, there's artists and their job is to make those nouns. And then there's teaching artists whose job is to activate the artistry of other people. And the skill set of teaching artistry includes the capacity to see and hear communities in a way that artists don't necessarily do, and in fact, that most people don't necessarily do. A teaching artist walks through the world and th into a community with an eye out for the creative potential that is just right under the surface in people who don't think they're artists, who can't imagine themselves going to an opera, that creative capacity is right under the surface. Even though they're saying, oh my God, I'm totally not an artist. Their artistry is right under the surface. And teaching artists can create the environment in which it naturally comes out. And when innate artistry starts to appear, it's a powerful source. It's what's made humans evolve. And it is still available to tap, to guide a community through its own ingenuity, through its own motivation toward purposes like projects I've been working on, like climate crisis response, like wellness crises in small towns, like um, food deserts in Dallas. Uh, that this, when when you can tap this innate power and people start creating in a direction they're guided, new solutions for the challenges in those communities start to appear. Schools are communities. Fifth, you know, Mrs. Jones' fifth grade classroom is a community, but so is the the community in the Philippines that is getting flooded five times a year because of typhoons. Teaching artists' skill set is uniquely positioned 
to both recognize the assets in that community, surface them in irresistible creative explorations, and then start channeling them toward practical real world solutions. And that to me is the most exciting work I get to do with artists at this point. No, that's wow. Wow. I mean, that's, that's so, it's so crazy to think that we could connect, you know, th these ideas to like, you know, climate change and, you know, things that seem so unrelated, but are related uh, in the sense that, you know, we're, we're reaching out to different communities, you know, being able to inspire that creative self that sometimes is afraid to come out. I always found that at least from my teaching experience that what's also important is being able to know the stories, uh, the stories of communities, or even the stories of the individual. And I always found that, you know, for example, to inspire that creativity, and I think it might be as a result of fear, you know, like this idea of fear or fear of embarrassment, and or, you know, like, oh, what if I don't do it well, type of thing. Mm -hmm. And yeah. I, I and I think what's great about with what you've mentioned is that this idea of teaching artistry, like connects the dots of saying, you know, it's okay, you know, it's about the process. You know, if you fall down, that's okay. That's why, you know, for example, we're here to help you. And mm -hmm. I think, I think by inspiring those types of conversations, I think, I think we're, we might be onto something here. <laughs> Um, you may, in just what you described, there's three little guidelines that teaching artists use that I'll mention because you were just kind of naturally touching on them. One is teaching artists place a high priority on personal relevance. Those stories matter. And when someone's personal story is invested in creative work you're doing, their motivation for involvement drastically increases. They're just kicked back and like listening to what they're supposed to listen to or feeling like maybe it's a good thing. OK, maybe I'll do it or not. They're only half involved. But when their own story is heard and discovered to be directly applicable to where a group wants to go, that's when you start to get the power of a community changing something together. There's also teaching artists are very skilled at creating safe and charged environments where you're not afraid you're going to be made to look stupid. So it's safe, but it's not just safe. It's safe, but charged. It's safe, but energized. And that's where you start to get the brave environment where people are willing to take chances individually and eventually together. And the third teaching artist guideline you touched on is teaching artists tap people's innate competence. We don't hit that tripwire of people going, oh, I suck at that, or I'm going to be embarrassed. We come in with tapping what people can do, and then we challenge them to do it a little more creatively or do it in a new and fresh way. And that is when they start pouring their creative energy into a solution. Yes. And I, and I feel like it, that's part of the reason why I sometimes wonder, where was this 20 years ago when I was a kid? You know, uh, because I, I definitely know like this is something I would have definitely connected with. I would have been 
really invested with. But I mean, I, I managed to find my own path, which was great, which was fun at times, not so fun <laughs> at times. But I mean, but that's but that goes back into the process. And, and I think one of the things that you touched on this idea of personal relevance, with the time that you've been with teaching artistry and helping, you know, its development and growth, how do you feel the culture has has developed as a result, you know, being able to have, you know, teaching artistry's development, our culture changing? And how 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 have you found that? I I think of teaching artistry on the pioneering end of a big social trend, which is America's relationship to the arts. And for a lot of years of my growing up, I was trained to be part of the art club. You know, I was brought up in a family that liked the arts. And then I went to a conservatory for classical acting. So I was heading for joining the art club, the 6% of Americans who identify as a person who loves the arts and likes to go into those big buildings and knows how to take like a weird artwork and find a way into it for personal connection. 94% of our fellow citizens are not members of the arts club and teaching artists are that part of the artist community that knows how to activate the artistry in them sometimes to bring them into those artworks but to actually take that universal artistry that all people have activate it and give the satisfactions the effectiveness that artists get to enjoy in art making give that a, a life in all people both inside and outside artistic disciplines no this is this and i and i feel like this is something that could be applied to everything and i and i think in a sense if we if we do take you know these principles we do take these ideas and we we do apply these things to all aspects of our lives be it you know cooking or you know be it karate or i don't know like different activities i feel like it, it'll make life more enjoyable and i think more meaningful too i agree with you and when you asked about sort of what is the big trend in america that i'm noticing the redefinition of art away from just the art club definition into an inclusion of making stuff you care about in the quality of the food that you make the quality of the conversations that you create you know in the beauty of the thanksgiving table dinner layout um that is the trend i think we're heading to in the experience economy that i think what we're moving toward is an appreciation a fresh appreciation of artistry in life and not just art in the fancy buildings and teaching artists are the workforce that knows how to bridge that gap that knows how to open up universal artistry no and i and i think this is i mean when we also think about education too you know for example you you talk about the experience like how we're valuing that so much more and i know for at least with my other company and also with tmap we we actually really make take a big big pain to make sure that like each of our students 
feels fulfilled in the sense of, of like how they feel about what they're learning, what they're learning, how are they able to apply it in their lives and how are they able to achieve? And it's not even just about that, but are they achieving the goals that they want? And those are, those are really big things that I emphasize uh, with both of my uh, businesses. Now, when we think about the digital age, right? When we think about teaching artistry, in the digital age. What are your thoughts about that? Has it made it more inclusive uh, mm -hmm. in the sense of like reaching out or? So it's a really good question in that for a lot of years, I've scolded the teaching artist field that we were not really using digital opportunities. You know, there were, we were using technology. It was convenience for communication and we made online portfolios and we could create interactive games and experiences, but we weren't finding ways to do the number one job, which is activating the artistry of other people. My God, kids spend more hours per day on video games than they do in a classroom. And yet that action on video games is not activating artistry. It may be enjoyable. There are artistic elements to video games, but the verbs of art, the verbs, what it takes to create an idea and then shape a world around it and move it into the world is not available in this gigantic number of hours that they're being entertained. So my challenge to teaching artists suddenly took a lurch forward with the pandemic when we could not deliver the programs in the way we had for 40 years prior, but we're challenged to really start thinking about how we activate artistry in an online connection is the first time I saw the field take the challenge seriously and not just use technology for convenience of the ways we like to work, but rethink the work. And I must say, in the last two years, I've seen an explosion of innovative work from teaching artists to accomplish the roles of teaching artistry in digital exchange. It's still not mature. We're still in the kind of exploratory adolescent stage of developing new ways to deliver it. But suddenly possibilities have grown much wider and a burst of innovative entrepreneurial thinking that was never there before was loosed by the pandemic. Wow. Yeah. I mean, when we think about, you know, you know, different situations, you know, as humans, we always need to adapt, right? In, in regards to, okay, well, we can't do this but we're going to have to think about how we can do that in a different way. I think in a sense, like it sounds like the digital, you know, the digital age has actually benefited in a way the teaching artistry, you know, this idea of not only just like, I imagine creating resources, like you've done so much <laughs> in regards, in regards to what you've accomplished, but, you know, in regards to giving the tools also to people who are interested in teaching artistry of being able to, you know, engage with them in a way, being able to have conversations with them, try to not tell them this is how it should be, but being able to say, well, this is how you can think about it, but you can take that thought and be able to transfer it in your way. And I think that's something that's, that's really, really powerful. I think that dispersion of information. Yeah. And we're finding ways to do that. Uh, really in the field, 
there wasn't that much clarity that when you have an online avatar and you choose whether it's going to have a red dress or a blue dress, that is not what we're talking about. Even though many people think, oh, there's choice involved, so there's something creative about it. Teaching artists know the verbs of art on a much deeper level and are starting to find the tools, as you describe, for bringing together unusual groups of participants and have them make stuff together that is satisfying almost in the same way you can do alone in an in a live room. Yes. And I feel like in a sense, you know, I feel before the pandemic, we had such not great ideas about online learning, thinking, oh, that's just a cop out for like, you know, type of thing. But now I feel like with online learning, it's just another form of being able to connect with people. And a lot of time people think, well, it's not the same. Well, of course, it's not the same, but you're still having a conversation. You're still being able to connect with people. Um, we just have to do it in a way that you know, people can understand that people can engage with. And I think this is something when we talk about young professionals, a lot of the time, you know, we talk about these structures of schools and, you know, uh, I feel like in universities, it's one of those things that we could do more also for, for, for young people or for young professionals who graduate, who are great at their instrument, who are great at acting, who can, you know, recite Romeo and Juliet without, you know, without fail and being able to help also help those people realize that, hey, there's also this, you know, and this is going to be really impactful and it's gonna apply the things that you learned in the university. I can give you an example. Uh, when, when I started the teaching artist program at Juilliard, these were grad students of music, you know, they're on the tunnel track to musical success through Juilliard. So we started this little program and there was a lot of, I would say, condescension around Juilliard. It was like, oh, isn't that nice that there's a few musicians who like kitties, their careers are going nowhere. There was this whole thought of if you like education, you're in you're a kind of in a loser career position. Well, after 10 years of this program where they spent a year working in a classroom and then a year working in a school, of visiting the same students in 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 an underserved school repeatedly all year long, we did research that 10 years later, those who had learned teaching artist skills had significantly different career trajectories than those who didn't have teaching artist skills, and they were making more money. Their careers, very few of them actually went into orchestras. They wanted creative control of their careers. They had a whole lot more options because they could think entrepreneurially, they could work with young people, they could work in various communities. They had a whole lot more ways to build a career in which they had creative control of its direction, and it was turning into more money. So then the argument for how does teaching artistry live in the development of an artist in the 21st century began to have a very different feeling. It wasn't just you could make some extra money by doing kitty gig. It was, in fact, it's a habit of mind that will lead to entrepreneurial and creative success in a wider set of opportunities than you would have if you didn't have this expanded way of thinking about art in the world. No, I, I think you've touched on a lot of actual re really relevant 
points here in regards to like the mindset that people have, you know, when they're like 18, 19, I'm going to do this X, Y, Z. Whereas, you know, this idea of creative control, like I, I sometimes feel that people don't really realize how actually important that is. You know, for example, if you have an idea of how you want to sound, right? Or if you have an idea of what you want to represent yourself as an artist, how how valuable that is and how sometimes like different like artistic situations, you know, like there is a particular way that you have to play in an orchestra. You have to, you know, have not only X, Y, Z, not only like this top musicianship, but like the idea that you also have to like conform into the, into the group, which is not a bad thing. I mean, if that's something that, you know, people like to do or people want to do with their careers. But I mean, the thing is like, this idea of creative agency is something that sometimes like people forget that you don't have to be an orchestral musician to have value or you don't have to be like on all of the television series like on Netflix to have value because you already have value by existing. Yeah. You know, um, uh, often in my work, I'll work with a group of young artists or just coming up artists on guiding them to create a personal mission statement. And I'm fascinated at how hard it is for them. In the first invitation to really put out what you're, the impact you want to bring into the world, almost always the first efforts at that are completely derivative of things they've been told. So that you'll have musicians saying, my mission is to play the best music for all audiences. And there's nothing wrong with that, but that's not going to drive a career. That leaves you grabbing for an opportunity here and there and doing all your auditions, hoping you get a job. Same in all the other art forms. After thinking about it and actually noticing where your personal passions lie, they start to narrow. And you start to say, actually, this is the music that turns me on the most and that I think has the, this is the kind of, relationship to an audience and the kind of ensemble I want to be in. And as that sharpens, then career potential opens up because that's what you end up talking to people about all the time and start attracting others who are interested in that idea, which is where opportunities arise. So that challenge to really get clear and strong about what you want to bring into the world, that is where you start to create the career that you want, rather than feel urgent to try to grab gigs just to keep the rent paid. And I, I urge your listeners, take the time, and it's not an overnight job, to get clearer and clearer about the mission you want to bring into the world, or it may change. I know some uh, string quartets I have worked with, every five years, they come back together to revisit their mission because it may have changed. And so get the sharp view and then give yourself the opportunity to have it change as life and context of life changes. No, and I, and I think that with what you've mentioned with the context of life, you know, this idea of flexibility, because sometimes when we create these like goals for ourselves, they a lot of time people think, okay, I am going to do this. Right. And if I don't do this, I failed and I'm a horrible human. 
and my right. life is over. And the thing is, it's not, <laughs> it's not, it's not that I, I and, and I, and I feel I, I, I really resonate with what you've mentioned because I know, at least for myself, with how my life has has developed and continues to develop, is that you know you have to give yourself flexibility. And I feel like sometimes, like I don't know about you, Eric, but like our society doesn't forgive ourselves. You know, if we're not able to achieve that thing that we jumped off when we were 16, that we're like, oh, my life is over. Right. Well, it depends what you're pursuing. You know, that if you have unrealistic standards of what success is going to mean, you're going to have a whole lot of that. Uh, When I was in my late teens and early 20s, there was a very big figure in our, our world, Joseph Campbell, who made a statement that I grabbed at like age 19 and have followed ever since. It was kind of like career advice, which was follow your bliss. And even though that sounds sort of hippie 70s, which it was for me for a while, uh, the truth of following that which is passionately rewarding for you actually turns out to be a very practical life strategy. It's carried me for 40, 50 years without ever having had a job because I have been drawn to work and then work comes to me and I've been able to create organizations and projects, always pursuing the the passion that is so exciting that I want to work on it all the time. And I want to think about it and talk to people all the time about it. That is a powerful entrepreneurial strategy. And it not only works in terms of keeping you you creatively fulfilled, it works out financially, maybe not immediately, but even when you're doing a project, and I've done more than a few projects just for money, around the side, I've still got the passion work going, and then that takes off again and leads to another whole series of work. So follow your bliss sounds like my nice hippie guideline, but it turns out to be quite practical. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> no, and I and I think that's I, I think that's the thing is that you know when we think about you know following the bliss. I mean, we could you know your happiness. You know, because I feel like sometimes we we forget that you know we only have one life, you know, we, we have to make the most of it. We have to try to do things that make us happy. And we avoid the things that don't make us happy. Sometimes we have to do those things in order to get to the next part of what we want, you know, to, to become happy with what we do. And I think it's one of those things that that's part of the reason why with TMAP, you know, being able to create TMAP, it's not only just about, you know, helping, not only serving different communities that, you know, I have been wanting to do for some time, but I just, I just didn't have the courage to, because I, I I was like, well, how would I, how would I be able to do this? And it was exactly with what you mentioned earlier, the idea of the pandemic being a catalyst for change in regards to how we receive information and things like that. So the moment I learned how, okay, I think this is how a business goes and I'm still learning. And and that's the thing. It's like, I mean, I'm sure with all the different projects that you're involved, you're, you're still learning too. It's true. You know, there's a, a little quote on my email these days. I change it every so often, but the latest one, it's, it's right on target. It says the best way to complain is to create. And that's what you're doing with 
with TMAP in my view is, you know, the kind of the career of a young artist, it's not what it should be. You know, it's a mess or whatever the judgment is. Instead of complaining about it, make TMAP, you know, make the entry into the world of what the right journey of a young modern artist can be recreate the 20 the opportunities for the 21st century artist instead of just bitching about the fact that it isn't the way it should be no exactly exactly and no but it's actually really funny because i think we've talked about this in passing before but the idea that TMAP is actually like a result of like many frustrations I've had over the course of 15 years of, you know, being a young professional, being like, how do I write a biography about myself? And this is so weird because like I'm in one sense with our biographies, we're having to sell ourselves. And I'm not like, you know, the type of person who's like, oh, look at me, I'm great, you know, type of thing. But just but because that's just part of like the, the part of the you know, package when you say, okay, if I'm looking for work or if I'm wanting to do X, Y, Z, I mean, it's, it's tough. It, but, but at the same time, we, you know, because our society is growing and changing so much, like I'm constantly having to adapt, having to constantly change. And that's, that's good. I, and it keeps me on my toes. It keeps me alive. That's for sure. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I can share a a similar story. I had a group of friends and we were just endlessly frustrated that the U.S. government didn't support the arts the way we thought it should. I mean, there's no cabinet position honoring the arts. So we said, "Okay, let's create the U.S. Department of Arts and Culture on our own. And so I was a founding cabinet member of the U.S. Department of Arts and Culture People can look it up on the web. It became this vibrant art, basically, uh, you know, public art project that did all kinds of great things in the world that an art department of the government should do. And I must say, our favorite moment was when conservative politicians would come out and rail against the waste of money that the U.S. government is putting money in the U.S. Department of Arts and Culture when it was just us 20 volunteers just named it and started producing materials like our own State of the Union message and our own resources for artists who work in communities. This kind of make the future the way you want it to be is in you and in a lot of your listeners and in fact i think the identity of a modern artist no this is no this is this was really great thank you so much eric i mean this has been really very vibrant conversation and exchange of you know different ideas of so many ideas actually <laughs> so, so many, but, maybe. <laughs> which is which is great so thank you for joining us today and for sharing your experience and thoughts with us. We look forward to seeing the amazing things that you continue to do for our community, Eric. Thank you. My pleasure, and thank you for inviting me.